I suspect that most of us could pretty easily make a very long list of major problems facing our world today, from threats to democracy at home to global climate change to so much more. As the author and activist Grace Lee Boggs used to say, another world is necessary. <laughs> but she didn't stop there. She would add, another world is possible. And then she would go one step further. She actually would say, and this is, she's a black woman. She's very in touch with a lot of the problems in this world, has experienced them very directly. She would say, I actually believe that another world is happening. What do you think about that three-part claim? Is a better world not only necessary and possible, but already happening, even in part? The Indian author and activist uh, Arundita Roy has similarly said, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, Roy says, I can actually hear her breathing. If we pause for a moment, right now, in real time, just see if there's even the smallest sense in which you can feel that. Can you feel another world breathing? It's all right if you can't. It's interesting if you can. It's, it's interesting either way. I'd like to believe it so. I am sort of by nature slightly inclined toward optimism with a strong dose of realism as well. Uh, so I, I'd like to believe it so, but given the real problems and threats facing our society, there's that other little voice inside my head of, is that just wishful thinking? Are we heading, you know, maybe we'll never get to utopia, but are we heading a little more in that direction? Or are we heading more toward dystopia, right? What I know for sure is that the better world we dream about will definitely not emerge if we do nothing. To have any chance of turning our dreams into deeds, we must each do what we can within our various spheres of influence. And that spirit I'd like to equip us with some tools that might be able to help. It's from a book titled The Four Pivots, Reimagining Justice, Reimagining Ourselves. It's by Sean Genwright. Uh, Dr. Genwright is a professor of education in the Africana Studies Department at San Francisco State University. He's also the founder and CEO of Flourish Agenda, whose mission is to design strategies that unlock the power of healing and transform schools and communities. So Dr. Genwright, he's not just up in the academy. He's been out on the street for decades now trying to transform schools and communities. And after spending many years researching what does and doesn't work at the intersection of personal change and social change, he's identified for him, and it's not that this is the, the full list, but for him, he's identified four important pivots. Not that there aren't other things we could add to this list. And that's the pivot from lens to mirror. The pivot from transactional to transformative. The pivot from problem to possibility. And the pivot from hustle to flow. And I want to invite us to spend just a few minutes with each in turn. And as I do so, I should emphasize, because I think this can sometimes be the, the takeaway, even from a you know, fairly short 20-minute sermon, is that you can sometimes feel like, all right, now I've got four more things to do. <laughs> like, I, I, don't want, I don't want you to feel like you've got to 
you know, pivot like four times all at once. Instead, as you, as you listen for the next few minutes, just notice, is there maybe one of these, maybe two? It's all, if you want to take on all four, you do you. But is there one or two of these that really resonate with you in this season of your life? Like, wow, that might actually be able to unlock something for me. Just, just notice if that's the case. Let's begin with the first pivot, from lens to mirror. So what's a lens? Well, it's like on my glasses, right? I have to wear these to drive because they want me to look out in the world in a particular way that allows me to have a, a decreased chance of getting into a wreck, right? Uh, so you know, a lens is an optical device through which we view objects in the world. But with this pivot, Dr. Genwright is challenging us to reverse our focus. It's not that we should stop looking through lenses. To, it's not that there aren't problems out there. But what if we also risk deeply looking into a mirror? at our own reflection. If any of you are wondering, of course, again, we can stipulate there are real problems out there in the world, irrespective of what's happening with any of us internally. And Dr. Genwright is all for making systemic changes, changing institutions, changing systems. But he's become convinced that every individual can also benefit from periodically taking a hard look in the mirror to own the responsibility we have and the place where we even have the most power, and that's to change ourselves. And the ways in which he's seen a, a focus too much on all the problems out there can, can be a kind of a cover-up and a distraction from looking at what we can change inside ourselves. Let me give you a story from his research of what it can look like to make this first pivot from lens to mirror. He was attending a community meeting, and I wonder if any of you have ever attended a community meeting like this. It was a meeting filled with conflict, lack of funding, insufficient volunteers, various interpersonal, you know, long-standing interpersonal disputes. And in the midst of the chaos, a longtime member of that community stood up and just said, I need to name how terribly all too familiar all of this feels. He said, 20 years ago, we had a meeting just like this one in which we blamed a local business for not providing us with enough funding. Ten years ago, we had a meeting just like this one in which we spent all the time blaming the government for not providing us with enough funding or doing more for our community. And he said, I wonder if we don't change anything, who are we going to be pointing the finger at ten years from now, twenty years from now, having the exact same conversation? For Genwright, this is a classic moment when a shift from lens to mirror can interrupt a pattern when individuals and communities feel stuck. If you're just over and over again not able to change things outside yourself, is there anything I can change inside me? Maybe that can change stuff. Again, let me be clear. There can be real external problems, genuine need for help from local businesses, from the government. But this longtime community member is making a critical observation. That external help it hasn't been coming, and it may still not be coming anytime soon. So what are we going to do? How can we do everything in our power in the meantime to avoid repeating this same conversation over and over again for the next 20 years? He suggests that one option is to look in the mirror and, in his words, quote, hold ourselves accountable for working better together. And it's, of course, a both and, not an either or. But there's an old saying we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Mirrors challenge us to start with ourselves. On the other side of personal growth work, we may find ourselves showing up in relationships and in communities and in the world differently. 
We don't simply see the world as it is. We see it as we are. And as we change, again, previously unforeseen possibilities may begin to emerge. I wonder if any of you remember, it's been quite a few years ago now, but John Kabat-Zinn wrote a best-selling book. He's a mindfulness-based stress reduction instructor. He wrote a best-selling book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. <laughs> right? Wherever you go in the world, there you are. Now, don't get me wrong. If you were in a uniquely toxic relationship, a uniquely toxic job or situation, the grass may really be greener someone else, right? Like, you, you may need to, to get out. Don't get me wrong. Other times we are challenged to ask, what patterns am I bringing with me? What am I replicating wherever I go? What might open up if I spend some serious time looking in the mirror about myself and my habits and my motivation? You know, there's a saying that, you know, whatever you're seeing, like if, um, if your home was chaotic and you just kind of keep being, you know, it's like chaos feels like home, you know, that, that's something to... Uh, talk to a therapist about, like, what, what do I do with that, right? Chaos feels like home. And we're repeating these patterns. This first pivot of shifting from an external focus, a lens, to an internal focus looking in a mirror is directly connected to the second pivot, from transactional to transformative. If I'm only interested in you because what you can do for me, that is a transactional relationship, right? It's what lawyers call a quid pro quo, a something for something. I'm only interested in you because of something you can do for me. Uh, this pivot from transactional to transformational is about a radically different way of being in the world. To say more, Genwright uses a provocative quote. He says, the wrong first question is what should I do? The wrong first question is what should I do? The right first question is who do I need to become? Who do I need to become? That's really worth thinking about. And I'll confess, I've spent a whole lot of time over the years uh, thinking about what we should do, right? Like, you know, we social progressives, we, we like to think about what do I need to do? What do you need to do? What do, what do we need to do together? What do other people need to do? Uh, and, and as with our first pivot, it's again, it's not that a lens looking out on the world is never useful and that we never need to take action. Rather, Genwright is inviting us to consider that if we find ourselves endlessly repeating the same old patterns, these pivots can help us reimagine ourselves and reimagine justice and how it might be accomplished. So what would it look like to begin with what he calls that right first question? What do we need to become, not do? The shift is connected to what we explored last Sunday on six ways to meditate. Uh, a lot of what awakening is about is the realization that we are not, nor have we ever been, isolated, separate egos. All of reality, including us, and this is what science shows us, it's very much less of a noun and very much more of a verb. Reality is process and relationship all the way down. And beginning from a felt sense of interdependence can be a powerful starting point in reimagining ourselves and reimagining justice. I should clarify that Ginwright's um, primary point of reference actually isn't Buddhism. He grounds his worldview in the related African philosophy of Ubuntu, uh, which the, one of the most famous sayings, some of you may know this from Desmond uh, Tutu's work, is that I am because we are. 
It's very different. In the West, it's almost it's, it's this Descartes, right? It's the, you know, I think, therefore I am. Ubuntu starts with the relationship. I am because we are. We're born into societies and systems. Can you feel the difference that pivot can make from the two of us are these separate, isolated egos negotiating with each other to in a transactional way, in a sense that whatever happens, we're independent? From this perspective, even if I cheat you or you cheat me and one of us comes out on top in the the short run, from that isolated perspective, you might get away from it. From a Ubuntu perspective, if I cheat you or you cheat me, we're still all caught up in this interdependent web. There's still, we both have to live with the ramifications. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Here's an even sharper way of making this point from an indigenous perspective. If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. If you're this isolated, you know, the white savior complex, right? If you're this isolated person coming to help me, But if you have come because you have this sense that your liberation is all caught up in my liberation and that you'll never be free until everyone is free, then let's work together. Can you feel that pivot from what do we need to do to what do we need to become? Because we may well not be ready to do the work of justice in an authentic way if we haven't done that transformational work of reimagining ourselves as deeply interconnected, what our UU Seventh Principle calls the interdependent web of all existence. Listen to that passage of indigenous wisdom one more time. If you have come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together, right? Nothing about us without us, right? Solidarity. In many ways, that quote embodies that second pivot from transactional to transformational. The third pivot is the move from problem to possibility. And again, it's like if you're just feeling overwhelmed, understandably so, if you watch the news, right? Overwhelmed by problem. How do we move from problem to possibility to get that sense that another world is possible and maybe even already happening? When the depressing headlines just keep piling up, it can be easy to feel this is just the way things will always be. But I promise this, change is the nature of reality. Change is coming, for better or worse. The science fiction writer Ursula K. Le Guin once said it this way, and I think about this from time to time. I think it's really smart. She said, we live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. You know? That's the pivot Gendright is talking about, the move from problem to possibility. In particular, I appreciate Genwright's thought experiment. He said this is a practice you can do to move from problem to possibility. He, he makes his graduate students do this, and you, you get to choose whether you want to opt into this. He says, first, just pick a social problem. What do you feel most passionately about? Is it racism, sexism, classism? Is it homophobia? Is it climate change? What, whatever social problem is, is most on your heart. Then he says, Try writing about, just spend some time journaling about that social problem without using any negative words. Don't allow yourself to use words like resist or defend, disrupt, demand, fight, struggle, confront, destroy, deconstruct, or any of the related synonyms. Just set those aside. Kind of like, you ever played Taboo? 
where someone has that list and they're, uh, they're ready to get you if you say any of the words on the list. Try, try not to say any of those. Just set them aside. Bracket them. It's not that they're never useful. But instead, he said, try writing about your social problem by centering words like reimagine, dream, discover, create, design, play, invent, visualize, build. Not just what we're against. We're really clear about that, right? I mean, we know what we're against, but what are we for? What is that better world? What does it look like? And it can be much more, you know, uh, it can give you just so much more energy instead of just being the innervation and the draining of energy that comes from what we're against. If you, like me, are an unabashed social justice warrior, I invite you to maybe give this practice a try in the coming days or weeks. How much your work for social justice shift from problem to possibility through letting go, even if only temporarily, of a focus on all that you're against? What might emerge if you focused instead on giving yourself time and space for reimagining? Dreaming, discovering, creating, designing, playing, inventing, visualizing, building. In working with groups to implement these pivots, Ginwright says that one comment he'll never forget is when a uh, participant said the following. He said, when I began this journey, you know, of trying to transform this community, you know, kind of consulting with you about these pivots, when I began this journey, I was only walking by faith, not by sight. I just couldn't see where we were going, how we were ever going to get out of this mess. Now it's like the fog is clearing, and I can see through the foggy mist in the distance a mountain. That's where we're headed, even if I don't know how the hell we're going to climb that mountain. I know this, though. I know I won't be climbing it alone. I appreciate the honesty of that sentiment. Genwright isn't saying that if you practice these four pivots for 40 days, you know, all of your social problems will be solved, right? No, he's not saying that. This is not going to give us all the answers. Even if we use them, we still may not know how the heck we're going to summit the peak of all these massive interlocking social problems. But maybe we'll find the fog is starting to clear just a little. Even more importantly, we can move ahead knowing that we don't have to climb alone. If you're feeling overwhelmed as one person, as you've heard me say before, stop being one person, right? Join a network that's doing this work. We're stronger together. The fourth and final pivot is from hustle to flow. This shift is about getting really honest about our finitude. As some of you recall from our New Year's Sunday service back in January, us humans who uh, are lucky enough to be around to blow out candles on our 80th birthday cakes, we will have lived just over 4,000 weeks. If you live to be 80, you get 4, 000, just 4,000 weeks on this earth. Our time on this earth is short and precious. Nevertheless, we humans individually and collectively can and have accomplished incredible, mind-blowing feats of social change. We don't live under the divine right of kings anymore, right? Slavery was ended in this country. We gave women the right to vote. I mean, all of this, there's, is there still sexism in the workplace and a pay wage gap and a racial wealth gap? And Yeah, all of that stuff, right? But it's, there has also been you know, impressive social change over the years, and we can and must continue to do so in the present and future. But none of us can do all the 10,000 things that need to be done alone. We just don't have the time. We only have like 4,000 weeks. 
The shift from hustle to flow is about discerning where are you most authentically called to focus? Because you can't do everything, and just hustling is still not going to get it done. So how can you move into a flow of the things that you uniquely can do well? In the coming months, I'm going to say more about this point uh, in two upcoming sermons. The, the first is going to, you won't have to wait long for, it's a sermon on Labor Day weekend, and it's uh, going to be titled, Insights from the People Who Brought You the Weekend. And then I want to revisit this one more time in December in a sermon titled, Rest is Resistance. For this morning, I'll address just one piece of this shift from hustle to flow, and to do that, I've been holding in my heart that since Monday, uh, on, uh, that on Monday, the influential writer and preacher and minister, Frederick Beekner died at the age of 96. So he got 16 more years uh, past that 4,000 weeks. Uh, his career spanned more than six decades. He published uh, 39 books. His novel, Goodrich, was a finalist for the 1981 Pulitzer Prize. Related to this pivot from hustle to flow, I want to invite you to hear perhaps his most famous quote. It's a definition of calling. You know, where are you called? Where are we called? And I think calling can help us get in touch with where is that point of flow, not just hustle. He wrote this, neither the hair shirt nor the soft birth will do. Let me say one piece about that before I go into the final piece of the quote. A hair shirt, during the Middle Ages, people wore these hair shirts, and they they wear them and they chafe you so that you'd constantly remember to be penitent and, you know, remember your sin, you you worm of original sin, right? That was what this hair shirt was about. He's saying, the hair shirt, it's not going to get us there, Just, just beating ourselves up all the time. Neither the hair short nor the soft birth will do. A soft birth, any of you sailors, B E R T H. So a soft birth means you've put a ship into a, a, a port where there's too much wiggle room. And if a storm comes, instead of it being tight, it's going to smash around in the wind. And get, so he said, neither the hair shirt beating ourselves up will do, neither will the soft birth being too easy on ourselves. You know, it's, it's neither of those extremes. Instead, he said, you are called to the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You're not just called to address the world's deep hunger, Right? Where is that place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger, where's that intersection between the thing that you do really well and that brings you joy? Uh, This work for social justice and building a better world doesn't have to be done from a a place like a dirge, from a place of despair. It can be done from a place of deep joy and great passion. Where does your deep gladness meet the world's deep hunger? A lot more to say about all of these pivots, but as I move toward my conclusion, I want to invite you to consider if one or more of these four is really resonating with you in this season of your life. In the coming days, are you feeling led to move from lens to mirror? Might it help you to spend a little time, like, what can I change about myself? Are you feeling led to move more from transactional to transformative, to really get that sense of interdependence, that we're all in this together and deeply connected? Or maybe to move from problem to possibility. Maybe you want to spend a little time trying to write about a social problem using positive, creative, artistic language. Or moving from hustle to flow, looking for that place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. For now, I'll give the last words to Dr. Genwright from the conclusion of his book, The Four Pivots. He writes that in our journey to create a more just world, all of us must learn to be more human. That's that looking in the mirror piece, you know, and that's that, that uh, interdependence piece, really being in touch with who we are as humans and as a larger humanity. 
And we have to lean into the courage to create a world based on love and justice, right? That's that possibility and that, that flow piece. Now let's go into the wild. He says, let's go together without fear, knowing that collectively we are destined to find there was actually never a wilderness at all. <laughs> 